Hi, all. We're back for another week with the podcast here at Penn State. This week, we're breaking down another aspect of the application itself, the primary application. This week, we're talking about the work and activity section, sometimes called the experiences and achievements section. While the language varies, the intent's pretty similar. And it's a really, really important section. And it's not something to just sort of enter and forget. This is something to approach with a lot of intention. And we're going to break it down this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. We're back, back, back again. Welcome to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. Our goal each episode is to share information our students need to succeed, connect them with resources, answer their questions, and make this incredibly stressful process just a little easier. Our episodes vary in length from a little over five minutes to around an hour. Tune in to our shorts in between your classes, but if you've got a little bit more time, enjoy one of our longer episodes. I am this week's host, John Moses Bronson, but I'm joined in the studio by my lovely co-host, Kimberly. Hello. Welcome back. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing pretty good this week. It's This is a really fun time of year for us. I love it. It's, it's you know, I know you earlier you said it was your favorite time of year, and I, I think it really is for me, too. This is the time of year for us in our office where we are getting to know students in such lovely, complex ways. We're getting ready for the application cycle, and we get to just focus on helping them at this really, really important time. And so that's really the big focus of this series of podcasts that we're doing is to help make it easier because there's so much in this application. It's so complex. Yeah, this is the time of year where it finally starts to feel real. Yeah. It's no longer hypothetical. Yeah. (laughs) And we get to start digging really deep and making sure that what's going into these applications is really, truly reflecting all of the incredible hard work that they've put in over the past few years. It's, It's fun for me. And it's because my favorite students right now are the ones that are like, they're really just, they're way too humble. Oh, yeah. And there's a time and a place for humility. And you need to have like a degree of it. But humility has like less of a spot here in your application. <laughs> After my first couple of months here at Penn State, um, I observed out loud to one of my students that I think that probably one of the most common qualities I saw amongst my students and applicants was being overly modest Mm -hmm. and i said listen i understand modesty i value it and it has a place but right now we need to put you on display we need to like spread those beautiful feathers yeah you are wonderful and talented and gorgeous Mm -hmm. and knowledgeable and you have put in so much effort here and we want to highlight all of that yeah highlighting something is different than bragging about it yeah you know, a lot of times people call it peacocking, right? That's Be- what I was thinking. Right? And I think it's like a pretty appropriate sort of descriptor because a peacock is not showing off anything that it does not actually have. 
It has pride in the things that it has. And we don't want students to make up things that aren't there. We don't want you to overstate what's there. But acknowledging the beauty and the cool stuff that you've done, that's what we're trying to do. But we're helping you do it in a meaningful way that's going to translate well in this process. And I think this is sort of the perfect topic to really talk about that delicate balance between, you know, demonstrating your value and all of the cool things that you've done without sort of like being cocky or showing off. Depth, context, and texture. Yeah. We're talking about the work and activity section, and that's what it's called in the AMCAS application for MD allopathic medical schools. There, uh, there are iterations of this in every single application service, right? In a COMIS, it's called Experiences and Achievements, and that's what it's called in most of the other application services. While the terminology of the section changes, the intent behind what they're looking for doesn't. And I think that, you know, before we sort of like jump in, I think there's a few misconceptions on this section. And one of the ones that I see the most is students sort of treating this as the resume section. And that's not really its intent. So like, Kimberly, like when you're explaining this to students, how do you help them make sense of this section as a whole, like philosophically? (laughs) I think the main point is that even though it's a list, it's Mm -hmm. not a listing. Yes. It's not an elaborated resume. Mm -hmm. It's a it's all of the elements that you have cultivated, developed, participated in mm-hmm. with an eye towards becoming XYZ type of mm-hmm. professional in the future. And by that, I don't mean doctor, PA, nurse, podiatrist, etc. I mean, what are your values? Mm-hmm. How do you hope to build relationships with your patients or your community in the future? Mm-hmm. How do you manage how do you imagine your role on the healthcare team? Yeah. And then how does that align with expectations from the professional schools? Mm-hmm. And how does that align with ways that you've been preparing yourself over the past couple of years? Yeah. If you can Articulate where you want to be in 15 years. Mm-hmm. If you have a great and in-depth understanding of the qualities that these schools are looking for, mm-hmm. then you can apply that towards the analysis and description and reflection for each of the things that you've participated in yeah. over the past, let's say, four years. Yeah, it's. I think a lot of students see this as like basically a bunch of like little hooks with worms on the end to it. Mm -hmm. And certainly that can be its function, but it's not the intent here. You're not trying to. This isn't like a hook to get people on. These are extensions of yourself. Think of them as your limbs. These are the things that you use to accomplish your goals in the future. It helps to provide context. And what you don't want to do is like try to be super creative here. Like there's a layer of level of creativity that you can get into, but like this is not the time to like Robert Frost this. <laughs> We're not writing haikus here. 
there is some pretty direct language, but it you don't want to go into this being like, how am I going to stick out in this section? It's a, it's a faulty way of approaching it. it. Something that Dave said when we were doing the personal statement writing exercise episode is like, I think, really pertinent here. He quoted an author, and please forgive me, my brain is not grasping who it was. But if you try to write something unique here, you're just going to reiterate some drivel that they've heard a bunch of times. If you write the truth of your experience, you're going to build something really beautiful and unique. I think the other element here is it has to be real and it has to be about you and your experience Mm -hmm. because how many applicants are going to have the same experience on the surface level, right? Mm -hmm. TA, LA, um, certified nursing assistant. Yeah volunteer at xyz common organization so those title lines are all going to be the same over and over and over again yeah uh, on those applications but it's what comes in the description box Mm -hmm. that sets you apart so i always you know when i'm reading like a, a description of what somebody did in the lab or did as a ta i say okay i'm guessing that the your reader in the admissions committee generally knows the basics of how things operate in the lab or as a TA or an mm-hmm. LA, what they want to know is why is that meaningful to you and how are you going to take that meaning that you gained or the maturity or insight that you have here and apply that to that next step yeah. in your development as a professional in this area. Yeah, I agree. So. I think we've done a nice job of sort of setting the stage for the intention of this section. Let's start to deconstruct some of the pieces and sort of how they function within your application. So a lot of times we're going to be using the AMCAS application as sort of a default language to use. And that that's not because like of any one reason or another. It is also sort of the most complicated in this particular section. And because we want to give the most depth that we can, we are going to be talking about sort of some unique aspects of that particular iteration of this section, but there's lots of parallels that you can draw elsewhere. So what are the basic universals between all of them? One, every service makes you categorize the experience. So those categorizations are going to vary from service to service, even from the allopathic and the osteopathic application services There's different categorizations and they're not trying to trick you with like how to categorize. The number of times a day I say that about everything. Like, listen, this is not a trick. Yeah. It's use your best judgment. If you feel that an experience sort of spans multiple types of categorizations, my rule of thumb is to go with the aspect of that experience that was the most meaningful aspect to you. Right. A common one is, you know, if they are a student leader in like um, like a community service organization. Right. That's a confusing one. Do you put that as extracurricular? Is it leadership? Is it service? And it has aspects of all three. It's kind of the nature of some of the things that we do. They're sort of interdisciplinary. 
But if what you got out of that the most was your ability to lead others and organize and help the other members of that organization get more meaning and enrichment out of that experience, you're probably going to put leadership there because that was the most valuable piece of that. Listing something as leadership in the categorization categorization there's the syllable we're missing Uh in that section there we go doesn't mean that you can't talk about these other elements in the description yeah in fact should do that you absolutely should do that and i i often get a little bit of pushback then um students or applicants will say something like well you know I have a lot of leadership listed on here, but I don't really have any of this particular experience. So should I put it under this particular type of experience instead? And I really don't think that's the case. I don't think so either. We don't need to manufacture this. Yeah. You know, if you're an applicant who has extensive work experience, but not much volunteering, that's okay. Yeah. You have gotten all sorts of experiences. You just happen to get paid while doing it. Different schools are going to value those different types of experiences differently. Some look for more extensive leadership experiences. So if you've diluted your leadership section by categorizing an experience somewhere else, a school that's evaluating you won't see the full depth of your leadership exposure. So one thing to note about, especially allopathic and some of the other services do this, when you submit your experiences section or your, you know, your work and activities, whatever it is, it gets transformed into a Gantt chart. Now, a Gantt chart is a style of chart that is designed to show things over time, primarily. There's a number of other uses, but in this circumstance, they're looking at these different categorizations and how you've invested your time in them over the period of time that they're evaluating you for. So, if you're a regular admission over the course of your undergrad, if it's early assurance, like that's a bit of a broader time frame because they'll include high school there. But if you're a regular applicant, don't be putting stuff from high school. Forgot to toss that out there. It's lovely that you did that in high school. That that thing is not invited to the party unless you have continued to do that since high school. If it's a continuation of something, cool. If not, it is the Wicked Witch of the West in Munchkin Land. There is no power here. Be gone. <laughs> Something that you did the summer between high school and college would be allowable. Yes, because that is a, a point in your life where there is less structure provided to you by these institutions. Because at some schools, you're required to do a certain amount of community service or job shadowing. And so to even the playing field between schools that require those things and schools that don't, they have to sort of eliminate them because students that go to more affluent schools are going to have more opportunities afforded to them. And it artificially enhances their application when they go into these programs. And we have huge disparities. And that's just one way of controlling that disparity. It doesn't mean that you can't reference those activities sure. in other sections of your application. You absolutely can. It probably will. Probably will. Um, personal statement might be one area mm-hmm. that you do that um, in an interview. 
because they can still be very, very influential, but for the sake of sort of evening the playing field in a yeah. very specific um, section of your application, there have to be some parameters. Yeah. So back to sort of this categorization, understanding where you're strong is really helpful. One of the nice sort of aspects to our mock application and portfolio system is when you complete that for the application cycle, we show you what you look like. Because we want to give you as much insight into what how schools are going to see you and evaluate you as possible. And that's just one way that we've done it. We've just replicated what happens on the back end of this process. Because sometimes students see themselves one way, but on paper you look very different. And sometimes that's just us saying, like, perhaps you are more complex than you thought. And sometimes it is, perhaps you are complex in a different way than you thought. Or are you complex on paper Mm -hmm. and you've got this really wonderful, extensive, elaborate, um, detailed work and activities section, but you're having a hard time finding the words to describe that in an interview setting? Yeah. And we want to help you kind of hone in on why that might be or help you develop the words to describe yourself a little more robustly when Mm -hmm. it comes to your interview. Yeah. So after that categorization, the next few bits are pretty self-explanatory. So you sort of give like the title of whatever it is. So if this is a student organization, if you're an officer, that's where you're going to put your officer sort of title. If it was a job, you're going to put your, you know, position title. Sometimes this can be a bit confusing depending on what you're categorizing, right? So I have a lot of um, like distance runners, athletes, and they're like, well, what do I put there? And I'm like, well, just put something that's like as close to relevant as possible. Again, they're not trying to trick you. This is for you to provide context. And they've got to have some sort of structure so yeah. they can enter it into the application system. Yeah. It just can't be a free-for-all. So this mm-hmm. is the structure they're giving you. It's yeah. not because... They're trying to make it more difficult. Yeah, so just try and be as fair as you can. Don't try and overstate what it is. If you're like, this feels really simple, sometimes really simple is really great. And that's fine. That's cool. It it makes it a lot easier for your reader to interpret your what you're meaning was. Um, there's usually a contact. And for most things, that's pretty straightforward. To provide some clarity here, if it's a student organization, do not put the president of the organization if it's a student. You want to go with the faculty advisor, you know, someone who's a permanent, more permanent member of the institution. Um, Sometimes it can be difficult with like shadowing, especially if you're shadowing someone who's a bit older and is close to retirement. Make sure that you have multiple contacts at that office. As I've run into a number of students who sort of ran out of a contact name (laughs) for someone because they retired. Uh, It's pretty rare, honestly, that any of these items get followed up on. I think I've only had it once, and it's because a student had like a surprising number of hours If something jumps out at them as really not making sense, then they might follow up on it. It it felt out of the the norm, and it certainly was out of the norm, but they had a really cool experience, and they, they were able to back it up. But, you know, if I'm looking at your application and I see 500 shadowing hours with a primary care physician... My eyebrows raised so far up because that's an, a, a very extreme number for shadowing of a single 
professional at a single location. Who doesn't usually have on-call weekends yeah. or overnights? Yeah, that's kind of... <laughs> there's something out of... Something's wrong there, <laughs> right? And so those are the circumstances where they might follow up, but it's pretty rare. But you still want to be as professional as you can, and having those more professional contacts listed shows an attention to detail and intention. It's really helpful. Contact information is always important. Get the best that you can. Track uh, it now. Yes. If Go you're doing shadowing, we do provide verification forms on our pre-health advising page, and you can use those. You don't have to provide those anywhere, but it helps you track that information. And it's helpful, especially, again, if someone retires, you can fax or email that verification form with their signature, right? If it's someone who's worked in that office for a while, they're going to know what that person's signature looks like. You know, most of them probably know how they can even sign that signature. Not that that's legal, but, you know, when you work in an office like that, it is what it is sometimes. Sometimes they have a stamp of their signature that their staff has yeah. for these purposes. Yeah. One of the, the biggest areas here is the hours. You're going to be doing a lot of... Uh, not guesswork. Guesswork is unfair. Estimating. Estimating. Mm -hmm. If something sounds too good to be true, if you're like, does this sound right? Perhaps ask someone. Perhaps mm -hmm. ask your, I don't know, pre-health advisor. Because we're going to give you a sense of like, I don't know, dog, that seems a little off. Or, nope, that sounds about right. Because, uh, you know, you it's not like, if you're not being compensated for something, you're not getting like an hour you're not getting like a pay stub which tracks your hours so you're like well how do i make sense of how long i did this and you don't want to like overestimate here you don't want to underestimate you we want to use some logical frameworks to estimate from i would rather that you slightly underestimate and then have your reasoning at hand in case you're asked about it later yeah most likely you won't be asked about it Yep. Because if you're underestimating just slightly, when I say underestimate, I mean by like 5%. Yep. Don't, don't, you know, withhold credit from yeah. yourself for the work that you put in. But I would rather be slightly on the safe side than yeah. overestimate. Um, but how, I mean, you want to go ahead, John? Yeah. Having said all of that, the number of hours is like rarely super relevant. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> like... I get it. From your perspective, it's like, I need to have accrued all of these hours so that it looks on paper like I did something. And I get it. That's logical. It's a myth that we need to bust about this process is that there's no mystic number of what's good or fine or Sometimes great. Sometimes I have magically productive four hours yeah. and the most unproductive 10 hours. Yeah. And... You can tell what sort of day I've had in the office mm -hmm. when you say, Kimberly, what was your day like? There are some days where I have a million things that I'm listing off. I feel really satisfied. I feel like there's a lot of context to mm -hmm. how I spent my time. And there are other days where I get home and I'm just like, what was that? What did I even do all day? <laughs> like... Not really sure. Yeah, sometimes you just get burnout. Yeah, same thing. You know, you're going to have the same thing with shadowing. 
you know, you're going to have a doctor who sees you're going to be shadowing them one day and it's going to be just one thing after the next. Really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. You're learning a lot. You're seeing how they work and interact with their staff, mm -hmm. um, how they manage difficult situations, how they handle, you know, maybe not having a chance for lunch yeah. or getting behind on their paperwork or something like that. Um, or having patients who are late, which means that they themselves are then late to their next yeah. patient who is on time. And then they're going to have other days where they're trying to schedule somebody in um, in a cancellation appointment because they had a couple of no-shows yeah. or something. So, it, And sometimes like the patients are kind of identical. You're sort of seeing the same thing over and over again. Three colds in a row. And, and some days you are forever changed by meeting someone huge impact yeah on your trajectory or how you think about your future there's no magic number and so by trying to fabricate something or like try and punch it up by like mystically adding you're not doing yourself any favors with your entries as overall and this is something that i think i see particularly with um let's say some of my more privileged students is there's a lot of fluff in there they have they're like i have 15 entries i'm gonna fill them all to the brim and i'm like some of this i don't know why it's here it's really cool that you have exactly the number of entries as there are uh -huh. slots on this application mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and for some students it's like listen you have you literally do have more things than slots here and you just need to pick the most relevant absolutely but the key to this is relevance. And sometimes there's some surprising things that end up being relevant for one student that for another student, I'd be like, no, this doesn't belong here. You know, I had a distance runner a few years ago, and I think you remember this student too. And they learned so much from that process of training for marathons and like long distance runs. And they were really clearly able to articulate the value and um, skills that it's developed for them and it made sense and then there was another student that's like oh well i mostly just do it to exercise and i'm like this is not appropriate for you so it's the context of you what is each thing saying about you if you find that you're including something just to include it or to like fill up an entry point it's fluff and let me tell you, I mean, we do these comprehensive interviews. So we're looking at these entries. It is so easy to tell when someone shoved something in because they wanted more to say. And, you know, it's like writing a chapter in a book that doesn't advance the story. It doesn't give me new context to characters. It can like kill my enjoyment of a book because it's like, I don't know why we did this. I want everything in your application that you have a choice to add in yeah. to add something new. Yeah. And new can be defined in different ways. Yeah. Right. It, if you already have one shadowing experience on there, that doesn't mean that now you can't list another shadowing experience. Mm -hmm. What we want is for the two shadowing experiences to have shown or taught you something different. Yeah. Given you a different insight than mm -hmm. you had going in. Yeah. Now here's a question. Mm -hmm. I love questions. What happens when someone has several shorter shadowing experiences mm -hmm. and it doesn't make sense to list them out all individually? 
yeah, there's some flex here. There's different ways to handle this, right? So we know that some short experiences are great, right? And there's lots to talk about. And sometimes there literally just is less to talk about. That's not a deficiency of the experience. It doesn't diminish the quality of what that's added to you. You just have less to say about it and that's okay. These schools don't expect every like day that you go into something to be like transformative in nature. That's not how the world works and they know that. So sometimes it's okay to sort of categorize things together and talk about some of your universal insights to similar experiences. And sometimes you kick some of it out. Uh, for students that have been engaged, this also works on the flip side, right? So a student that's been in the same student organization for the whole time that they've been with us at Penn State, sometimes it deserves multiple entries, right? Because they had a really powerful experience as um, a member in an organization. Maybe they went on a trip and it's really more about that experience, but then they took on a leadership role and that experience gave them something brand new. That's a circumstance where sometimes breaking things out into separate entries can make sense. That's not a universal rule, but it is an option for you to show the depth and breadth of your experiences. There's, there's, there's very few universal rules here aside from don't lie. It's, it's a, it's also my most fun section to like help students through. A lot can happen here. Yeah. Because you know, we're going to talk about metrics and grades in, in the next episode in the series. And those are important, but they help open doors, right? So that's your curb appeal, <laughs> right? If we're, if we're watching HDTV, that's you saying like, I'm the cute little craftsman or I'm the mid-century modern or I am the condo, right? That's like, it gets them a sense of like, Yep, I'm going to ch check out this property. But if they click on your like property page and what you have inside doesn't like match up with anything, they're going to walk right back out. Mm -hmm. You're kind of setting the tone. Yeah. When it comes next. Yeah. And this is where you let them know who you are. And then your personal statement takes it even further. Right. So we talk so much about storytelling in this process and we know how difficult this is. And I believe we've said this collectively at least five or six times at this point in this podcast that, um, you know, we want you to tell your story through your application and we don't teach you how to do that as STEM students. We teach you how to write lab reports and we are asking you to do something counterintuitive to the way in which you've been trained. And that's what we're here for. We're, we're here to help you with this. So in terms of looking at some of the, you know, the strategy here, we need to be thinking about the other aspects of, our, of the application, right? We've had a series of podcasts about personal statement. And the, the beauty of that personal statement is it should express things that can't be covered in the work and activity section. In a place like AMCAS, the allopathic medical school application, you are given this gift in that application in particular of selecting three of your experiences that have been the most meaningful for you, and they give you an additional 1,025 characters per entry. 
That is powerful. Key key word here is additional. Yes. So you still get the base credits. Characters. Characters. (laughs) You still have the base characters of 700, but you get an additional. Oh, it's not even 1,025. It's 1,325. It's this huge extra amount of characters that you get to utilize to help you tell your story. And it's not going to overlap with your personal statement. It's like getting a bonus personal statement, just broken up into thirds. Let me jump in here for a second. Because a lot of times I have students come to me in a bit of a crisis moment. Yeah. Because they think that their personal statement cannot have anything in it that's in their work and activities. Mm -hmm. This is not the case. Yeah. Redundancy is part of life. Yeah. It's normal. Yeah. We are absolutely going to talk in our personal statement about some of the things that are in work and activities. Should. But it's our opportunity to frame things a little bit more differently or cohesively. Yeah. Or to tell our story a little more clearly than we can in work and activities where things are broken out into individual experiences instead of one complete story or picture. Yeah. You can take the work and activity section and especially these three most meaningful and it's a different type of springboard. It can put you on an, it gives you the opportunity to give additional depth in that personal statement. And then once you get to interview, you get to dive even deeper Right. So it's all about con- sort of controlling that different access of your information. There's there's no one right way to do it. It's nothing to freak out about, but it is something that we want to have conversation about. Because if you're lifting complete ideas and stories between the two, that's something that we do want to discuss because you're not fully utilizing this section to its full potential. And you're it feels ridiculous to say with how long it takes to do the application and how many characters there are that you have to like be so careful with what you talk about. But when you actually start doing this, you realize how limited these, your space and the characters are. It feels like, wow, 5,300, that's so many characters. And then you start doing it and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to be so concise to get all of this across. We want something that's elaborate. Mm-hmm. We want something well-structured, which yeah. means that we need nice introductions and conclusions and mm-hmm. transitions. And so it's not just about putting the different ideas and experiences on paper. It's about writing them in a way that's really going to give the reader a deeper mm-hmm. sense of understanding about why you absolutely have to do this. Mm-hmm. And who you want to become. Yeah. You know, this is not the end point. Getting yeah. into medical school or dental school or PA school is not the end point. Mm-hmm. This is just like the midpoints. Yeah. There's a lot that comes after this. Mm-hmm. And this is your chance, though, to kind of describe to them how what you've been doing is going to inform what you're going to do next and who you really dream of becoming yeah. in 15 years. Yeah, and the, and the value of doing this section right is really evident in the interview. Because a lot of times they're going to ask you about things from your work and activity section. 
if all you do is give them a list of responsibilities, they may still interview you and, and that's great, but you're going to be talking about like more logistical things. Like, yes, I did this. This is the scope of what I did. This is, and then you're just going to barely scratch the surface of what did I learn? What did I get out of this? So something that you could have put in the application and then expanded upon the value, ways that you've built upon those skills, how that's going to help you be at a you know a better med school student, you're losing in, in the interview. Like you don't get to move to those next steps and phases, right? So it's all about controlling when the information come, comes in and out. So before we wrap up this episode, I wanted to hit you with some some ways to think about your work and activities entries to help give you some guidance on how to push them beyond just the straight descriptions. This is feedback I give a lot of students because a lot of them are just, you know, elaborate, elaborated resumes. And that's a fine place to start. And this process is all about reiteration, like, an iterative process. It's like the personal statement. You're not going to have one version of your work and activities entries. They're meant to be worked on and developed over time. So the first sort of like major concept is impact. So whether it is an impact that you've made on it, right? It's, it's not enough to sometimes to just talk about what the thing is about, right? If this is a club or organization and you're an officer, it's great that you continued it forward, but what was your unique contribution? How did you change it over time? Because many officers do do that. And it might not be huge, massive sweeping changes or adding a new conference to something, right? It doesn't need to be that huge, but, you know, we had to transition to a new, um, you know, cost tracking system. And as the treasurer, I did that. And it meant working with a lot of other people. That's a great way to express the impact that you made on something. Something that we talked a lot about, especially with shadowing experiences, are the impact that it made on you and what are the new insights that you have as a result of that impact? What has it told you, right? A lot of times, you know, my, my students will tell stories about patients that they observed and how impactful that was. And I said, but how has it changed you? How has it changed the way that you see working with patients, being a physician, the world? Another thing that you can look at is size, scale, scope. At Penn State, that is very the experience of being a TA or an LA is wildly different from being a TA or an LA at a smaller institution. The things you're expected to do are wildly different and provide so such a different experience. And you can include that providing that context of what does it look like to do that here, right? You know, being a TA in a class of 300, 400, 500, 600 is so different than being a TA in a class of 20. It's wild how your experience differs and you should be able to talk to that, right? And on the flip side, if you were at an L area TA in one of these high level courses that has a small number of students in it, you can provide that level of context. What was your level of responsibility? especially my students that are in research labs over numbers of years, often their responsibility level changes over time. You know, they get become responsible for training new research assistants. That's awesome. And you don't always think about talking about it because you're like, I need to cover the research question, what we're studying. That's great. But what's so much more valuable 
is talking about what you did and how you contribute to the function of the lab. The Anything that demonstrates a depth of commitment, right? So a lot of our students that are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds or first gen, they often have jobs and they don't necessarily want to always include it. And I'm like, but look at how deep you committed to something. Now you had to get something out of it, but it shows that like when you commit to something that you do it over a period of time, you had this job for three, four years. That's impressive while going to school full time. And it tells me so much about who you are and the type of person you are and the type of medical student or dental student or PA school student that you're going to be. Talking about how something reflects your values, right? We have different types of applicants and schools are looking for different types of students. And by being able to clearly articulate in your work and activity section how something reflects your values leaves no room for like interpretation from your reader. A, a challenge that a lot of students have is they're like, well, that's what I meant when I wrote this. And I'm like, you don't have time for someone to interpret you. They're reading 30, 40, 50, 60 applications a day. You have to be more concise than that. You have to be more explicit because we don't have the time for nuance sometimes in these. Um, now, sometimes you do. This is a case by case. But in general, you want to be a little bit more direct. Ways in which it highlights your growth. It is so cool to me, especially this year, because, you know, Kimberly and I have been in these roles for roughly three years. So our students that we met in our very first year are like applying to programs this year, which is like mind blowing that our little babies are now going into the cycle. And the way in which you all grow and develop is just bananas to us sometimes because I remember who you were the first day you stepped onto campus as a student and the person you are now is just so cool it goes from being someone who's like okay I see you want to be a doctor to be like you can be my doctor you can be my dentist <laughs> like I'm cool with that <laughs> we talk about this all the time yeah we certainly we get we get excited for yeah. you yeah you are fun to us to talk about and to share in your experiences and your successes. It is so fun and fulfilling to get to work with all of you. And the last one, and this is one that like is not universally applicable, but sometimes it's fine to use a narrative to help you tell your story. This is not a tool to be used overall. It is in specific circumstances where a story from the experience helps to illustrate the deeper narrative there, and you can't do it through just words. Sometimes using a narrative approach can be really beneficial. But if you do it for everything, you, your section just looks erratic if you overuse it because it's taking you out of the center of the story. It feels a bit cliche, too. Yeah. it It looks like you're trying to be like, a cost-effective Tennessee Williams. <laughs> like, a great American author at, like, one-third the price. <laughs> but that's not who you need to be. That's not who they're asking you to be. If that's how you contextualize your experience and it makes sense to you to do it in that way, great. But don't force a square peg in a round hole. It's It's a problem. And that's a big thing overall in this section, is that forcing things to look a certain way because you think that's how the end 
reader wants to see it. Oof, big mistake, gal. It's it's not good. We want we want to understand your perspective, your story. Don't worry about how they're going to interpret it. We want to make sure that you were unless there's a big red flag in what you've done to tell your story, then we're going to tell you about it. But we want you to tell the truth of your experience and that's what's going to be valuable on the other end. All right. We went a bit longer than we anticipated, but this is such an important section that has such a huge impact on your application, how you're viewed, and especially schools that do holistic review, how they see you as an applicant. This is how schools go from saying this would be an accepted, acceptable metric-based student to this is a good fit for our school and who we are and the patients we serve and the goals that we have for the next generation of healthcare providers. So I really want to thank you, Kimberly, for joining me in this conversation. We Thanks, kind of, John. you know, we like to get up and, and get on our soapboxes of things that we, we feel <laughs> passionate about. And we are excited to sort of continue down the series. We have a couple more episodes that sort of break apart the application. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Penn State Free Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.